Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Overwolf. With over 1,500 games supported, 165,000 creators, and 38 million monthly active users, Overwolf is the guild for in-game creators. Whether you're a gamer, creator, or game studio, Overwolf is the ultimate destination for integrating UGC in games. For game studios, Overwolf offers CurseForge for Studios, a white label solution that lets game makers and publishers easily integrate mods safely and seamlessly into their games, both existing and new, at zero cost. It's battle-tested by AAA studios and games, including Maxis with The Sims 4, Studio Wildcard with Ark, Take-Two Interactive, and others. For creators, Overwolf is the all-in-one platform that enables creators to build, distribute, and monetize in-game apps, mods, and game servers. In 2022, Overwolf paid over $160 million to in-game creators, proving that they truly value the talents and contributions of the gaming community. You can check out everything Overwolf has to offer at overwolf.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Takei, and this is the interview and insight segment. And so Epic, today we're talking about Epic and UEFN, and Epic has been in the news a lot lately for a variety of reasons. I actually had to make a bulleted list because there's so many, so I'm going to read this bulleted list. There's the first execution of massive layoffs, restructuring and divestments, rest in peace, Bandcamp. Some lawsuit stuff that's going down is Google faced off with Epic this past month in an antitrust case, the primary focus being, of course, how Google treats third-party mobile developers that use the Android Google Play Store. On a more positive note, because Fortnite brought back the original map, and with it, 44.7 million players in a single day, a total of 102 million hours played. Epic also raised the price of V-Bucks. A shout out to my homie, Philip Black, at Deconstructor of Fun, who does an excellent analysis on whether or not this makes sense and what else Epic could have done besides change the price for V-Bucks to help balance the economy. But today, we're not here to talk about any of that. That was more just context for what's going on with Epic and rather about UEFN, which is also in the news all the time. In addition to Snoop Dogg announcing that he's giving up smoking a dube, upon clarification, though, I don't know if you guys read this, but he's not giving up on <laughs> cannabis. He's shifting to edibles. Okay. Ah. Well, you he know, he is. doesn't speak for the entire UEFN community. I just want to say that. He does, he does not, but he, is, he and his son announced Death Row Games, which is dedicated to building content on the Unreal Editor and Fortnite. And although we do not have Snoop himself in the house today to talk about UEFN, we have two other rock star guests. And my first is Alex Ropian, one of the initial founders and later president of Bungie, which of course needs no introduction. Since Bungie, he spent time at Disney, founded Industrial Toys, and is now the CEO of a studio called Look North World, whose main purpose is to publish and make games with a focus on the UEFN platform. Welcome to the pod, Alex. Why, thank you, Alex. <laughs> Great to and be here. obviously you're the best because your name is Alex's and all Alex's are awesome. Um, my next guest, whose name also begins with an A, though is not named Alex, is Amy Wu, who's going to be bringing the investor perspective to the UEFN ecosystem. She's a partner at, partner at Menlo Ventures, and she has a VC career that many people dream of with names like Lightspeed and Inside Venture Partners on her dossier. Amy looked at a bunch of deals in the UEFN and Roblox ecosystem, so I'm excited to have your perspective today. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Awesome. So this would be a really good one. We've got a builder and an investor to talk shop. And before we start, I, I know I just gave some high-level intros for you guys, but I would love to tell have you tell me and tell our audience about your current roles. Alex, tell me how you came to found Look North World. And Amy, when we get to you, we'll tell me about Menlo's gaming and consumer practice and what they've been up to these days. Cool, cool. So I guess like many things, the, what I'm currently doing now is the is is a point on a on a journey. It, it didn't start with necessarily the focus that we have. I found myself at the beginning of the year with some free time, and was looking for a way to 
express myself creatively with my team. And this was right when Epic was announcing UEFN and that platform. They, I think they still hesitate to call it a platform, but really is a platform. Hmm. And it, it seems so attractive just to me as a maker to have an opportunity to build something that I could just wrap my head around in a short project that I could release, that I could own and control, and just express myself creatively. So that really was the the spark for me of seeing UEFN. And once I kind of tucked into it and looked at it and talked to people at Epic, kind of got it, an idea of where this could be going, really felt to me like early days for, of a platform. Yeah, I, w- I was around when when the App Store launched, when Facebook games launched, when the Xbox launched, where all these platforms launches an energy, there's an unknown, and there's so much possibility. And that's exactly how this feels now. So I just I just like I'm not waiting on the train platform. I'm getting on I'm getting on this train. All and aboard. So we have a we have a, yeah, all aboard. We have a we have a long view. We've shipped a couple of islands already. Platform's not perfect, but it has so much potential. And that's why we're focusing on it. That's awesome. I'm super excited to hear hear about it. I remember the there. GDC Amy. splash that uh, Epic had made with a bunch of their announcements on UFN. It was it's really ex- um, exciting launch. Amy, you want to tell us about Menlo um, and the gaming and consumer practice? So I joined Menlo earlier this year, and a little bit about Menlo Ventures. We're you know generalist tech VC fund based in Silicon Valley. I'm personally based in New York, actually. And we actually last week just announced our latest fund, $1.4 billion raise. And I am a partner that focuses on consumer and gaming investments. And so, you know, everywhere from C to Series B investing and in consumer tech, games, content, you know, studios, and also on the tooling side. And so, yeah, you know, on the and, you know, I previously had done, you know, a lot of both also when I was at Lightspeed. And so really excited to, to uh, you know, focus a lot on games at, at Menlo. And also really excited about UEFN because, you know, similar to Alex, I would say, you know, we are looking at teams that are writing waves and platform shifts and tech shifts and also, you know, behavioral shifts are some of these ways. And it does feel like UEFN is a potential large platform. That's awesome. Well, first of all, congratulations um, on the successful uh, fundraise. That's that's awesome. Huge, huge for you guys, and also especially in today's market. So, congrats! And uh, yeah, it's super. I still cool have a job. Hear, super cool to hear about that the, the practice that you guys are setting up, and you're you're so equipped to lead it. So today we got a lot to talk about, though. What is Look North World more specifically? And we're going to talk about where UEFN is at, what features it has, and who's building on it. We're going to talk about UEFN from the investor perspective, so potential exit opportunities, and then to take us home, Amy, you're going to do an awesome rundown on Roblox versus UEFN. But we're going to hit UEFN from the macro and the micro first. So exactly like you said, we're going to rewind the clock and go back to GDC 2023. It's March and Epic announces UEFN, 40% creator payouts, and this is dedicating to shifting away or solidifies the dedication to shifting away from Battle Royale to UGC as a second pillar. It's not been super long of a time, but from a high level, I'm going to try and take a stab at, at why they did this. And major shout out to my colleague, David Taylor, who writes for us at Novik. He did a full deep dive on the creator, on Fortnite Creator 2.0. So if you're interested, I'll be linking it in the show notes. But from a high level perspective, there's some thoughts around why Epic did this. The first is to grow the Fortnite user base and create more diverse content. So currently questionable if this is successful, seven of the top 25 games are made by Epic and 11 of them were already on the platform in Fortnite Creative 1.0. The top four games on Fortnite Creative now, which account for 39%, 24%, 15%, and 2.7% for a total of 81% are all Epic created games. So potentially one could argue that's that ambition has not at least bore fruition yet. The second reason they did it was to take pressure off the live service team. Okay, that makes sense. Free labor. Three, bring on professional developers into the ecosystem, including UE5 devs. And we're here talking today with Alex Arupian, and that's AAA in a, in a general sense. 100 Thieves, and of course, our Snoop Dogg is in. So that is a signaling that people are joining the ecosystem. So... I guess at this point, that's some context for what UEFN has been and why they've done some stuff in the past. But 
I would love to hear more from the builder perspective of where UFN is actually at. Um, you know, what features does it have from the building perspective and what can you do with it? So Alex, I'd maybe pass it to you, you know, tell me about what you guys are building in UEFN and with what tools. You know, fundamentally, UEFN is an engine. It's the Unreal Engine for Fortnite. And it, it is, it is the Unreal Engine and it's the Unreal, it, it has some limitations. I'll talk about that in a second. But it has a couple of very unique things about it. One is when you build a new EFN, you have access to all five plus years of Fortnite content that you can use and kit bash and build environments and props and all that kind of stuff, which is a big part of the effort and lift in game development, obviously. So that's a huge accelerant for teams. So it's the engine coupled with that asset library. It's also plugged in a fab, which is Epic's sort of like third-party asset library. So in terms of building, there's a little bit of a difference in, in workflow from, say, traditional UE5 development and UEFN. Specifically, a lot of these experiences are built with those existing bits of content. So it tends to be a lot faster. It also has a modern scripting language, which some people love, some people don't. But Verse is, I think represents a little bit of the future of Epic's roadmap for product development. So it, I think it's actually a great thing for UFN developers to have access to. And I think the most significant part is that it it targets a storefront, which is inside of Fortnite, obviously, to 250 million players. And those players, I don't have to buy them, you know? I, I have to find them. And discovery is still very early, but I don't have to convince them to leave their ecosystem. And in fact, it's the opposite. I can reward them Battle Pass XP. So I can reward them to come and play our game. So it's a, it's a different, when you think about like who you're building for and how you're building, it's a little different. That's So that's sort of like the tool environment. There are definitely some limitations, huge guardrails, you know, the, the, the major three Cs, you know, camera, control, and character, those, those are still, they're on the roadmap, but they're not here yet. So, uh, you know, I, you can't really make a first person or a God view game yet. Uh, you, you can kind of fudge a few things, but that's not really part of the the game design vocabulary right now, as is, say, changing the how controls work or, you know, we're all tied into the same set of character skins. It's a huge library, but if I want to make a game that features one specific protagonist going on an adventure, that's not really the vibe yet either. So the, those are some, I would say, the, big main constraints that are on this platform, but it has those unique elements to it as well. And I think, you know, what we've been working on is just learning that set of tools, learning how to work within those constraints and really understanding what players want on this platform, because it is different. I think somebody said the word behavioral, you know, and I think that's a, probably the biggest difference on UEFN is that players behave a little differently in this e that kind of ecosystem than they do, say, you know, in a paid download or even a free-to-play ecosystem on mobile. It would be cool to know, Amy, if it sounds like there are some limitations to the kinds of games that we make, can't make isometric top-downs, you're very much kind of, I guess, hampered by what Fortnite looks like and maybe also even feels like, um, pointing to your comment around three C's, Alex. But in your opinion, sort of like, what are what are, what is the behavior that people are doing in UEFN and what are the games that are popular? What do people do and, and what are the game modes that they play? Yeah, I... We'll get to that question, but I think it's interesting to to first kind of pull up and, and think about the history of how like UFN developed. I think it answers some of that and where I think where Epic is trying to go with UEFN. So you have to understand like um, the creative mode really was, you know, a, a part of Epic that had been launched years ago. I mean, so I had it. Um, I was working with the team as an investor, you know, when we invested at Lightspeed, this is back in, I think, 2019 now. And, and first and foremost, I mean, Tim Sweeney had had a vision of I mean, this is before the metaverse term was was popularized <laughs> and maybe overpopularized. But he had that vision since I would say several years ago in terms of what he wanted to build, which was, you know, the ultimate, um, ultimate sort of multiplayer experience, starting with first party titles, but, you know, kind of moving towards third party publisher, but then reimagining what that looks like in a in a platform way. And so creative mode 1.0 was the first 
the first iteration of that vision. And that was to expand the audience of Fortnite, which at that time was, you know, I would say young kind of teen, call it, you know, 13 to maybe early 20s more slightly slightly more hardcore but pretty casual compared to just general i would say triple a games and but he wanted to expand that even further and so creative mode had a lot of modes for example the most fi- uh, popular one was fishing that expanded his audience into one that was more casual more female and it essentially brought in the the epic games ecosystem and so but I think, you know, the first iteration of creative mode was, you know, they were developing that alongside Roblox, which kind of, you know, had had by that point been around for over a decade, but has really had really built the tooling and also the community and and the audience and this flywheel of UDC gaming and really was like the first mainstream platform to, to launch. And in comparison, the creative mode 1.0 tools were difficult for creators to use. And so, you know, where we're kind of amateur creators going to build content, it was probably not going to be in creative mode. And so I think Roblox gained a lot of momentum. And on seeing that, eventually, you know, I think Tim basically looked at the ecosystem and was like, we had to do something pretty drastic and to to really, I don't want to say catch up, but I would say create the next generation of what UGC gaming platform looks like. And hence, you know, UEFN starting with an extre- um, extremely both flexible, easy to use, and also more powerful gaming engine for a more sophisticated creator base or a broader creator base that encompasses both like, I would say amateur first time creators, but then also really experienced devs like, like Alex. And that will, and I think like the end goal is to expand the audience even further. And the best way of doing that is by democratizing the kind of content that is existing in your platform, you know, um, versus having Epic actually create all the content. So I think they're moving along that, that evolution right now, you know, where the most popular maps today are still, I would say, practice games and maps for Fortnite. But increasingly, the metric of their success, and we can talk about this in terms of metrics that they are allowing people to track and and rewarding for, are bringing on new players, like net new players, into the um, Epic Games ecosystem. And so I think it's a, lot, a very telling in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I think... I, th- I think it's easy for us to lose track of the site that it, this platform has been around for like <laughs> five months, <laughs> six months. Yeah, nine. And when, and when yeah. you know, you know, you were you were, you were listing out the hey, is this working? Because like eighty percent of of play is the epic is battle royale. It's like I mean, if you flip it around and go, hey, five months in, twenty percent of play on this platform is already third party created content. It actually it sounds a little different, and I and I think it's actually it's a lot more than twenty percent. Um, if, at least if you believe Epic's numbers, but in any case, it's still that's. I think, I think it fluctuates it's up and down. Yeah, it does fluctuate yeah. up. Interesting. Yeah, but so but it sounds like okay, but this but still the practice maps are something super core to Epic, right? So even if it is the third party creator content, I guess I'm sort of like wondering, like you know, from the Roblox perspective, there's such a diversity of the kinds of games. They're they're very much hampered down by the same mechanics. Like you know, at least from my understanding, you don't make isometric Roblox games, right? You don't do platformers. It's very much set in the engine with the with the way that and the and the third person mechanics that it has. But there is a a pretty large diversity of the kinds of games that are being played. Many different simulators or build tycoon or race car or you know even the other day I did a podcast of people that are building education tech games. I think the question is that for Fortnite, what's the what's what's planning to being built? And maybe this is actually a good time to talk about you know, what is Look North World going to build? You know, I'd also like love to hear about uh, the the average life cycle of some of these games as well. So maybe Alex, we'll flip back to you. You know, what is Look North World and what's the first game that you guys made and sort of what were the challenges that your team had, you know, maybe moving over from a, a code, a, you know, into, into verse as the new coding language. And how did that, you feel like that hampered the experience you were able to, maybe that you envisioned that you wanted to build? Yeah. Um- so, you know, when we started and, and uh, you know, first I would say the way we're looking at our company is as an entertainment company. We are building on UEFN because we do feel like that is a great platform and it's it's super efficient. But at the end of the day, we are making games, we're making new IP, and that's the engine that we're trying to create. But, you know, when we first started, I kind of imagined we'd be investing more per title, larger games, and quickly realize that the 
life cycles of these games are shorter and it makes sense to do more experiments. So we really are doing experimenting to, to, to learn as much as we can about what we can do and what players like. We do, we look at those constraints as they're just design constraints and any, any designer will tell you, please give me some constraints (laughs) because if the, you know, if the universe of creativity is infinite, then it, it's, you know, you, you, it really helps have walls to bump up against, you know, to help hone a design. So we don't really look at those constraints as, oh man, we look at them as like, what can we do? that's interesting, creative, and can resonate on this ecosystem. That said, you know, we will absolutely be leaning into new features as they come out. But the first game that we did, Outlaw Corral, is it kind of leaned in a little bit to that idea of the training for playing Fortnite. It it really lets players go through a whole series of one-on-one sort of end game, you know, matchups. And, you know, we, we, made of a using kit bashing out of Fortnite assets, what I would say is a, a very polished, really nice looking and well-playing execution of that. And it was very successful for for us in terms of learning on the platform. And we've had hundreds of thousands of people come and play it. And then we kind of laddered that into our second island, Career Coast, which is a team deathmatch shooter. And we have another game that we'll be launching in in a couple of weeks, which is a slightly more sophisticated team-based game. Um, but I think what we're really interested in doing is going beyond going beyond what sort of the typical Fortnite style shooter gameplay is and exploring more sort of role playing and, and deeper genres and other orthogonal experiences to what, you know, the main battle royale experience is like. Uh, so that's where we're spending time experimenting right now. A- as we've been doing that, I th- I would say almost as importantly we've been learning the like the customer acquisition funnel like where do we find players how do we find them how does matchmaking really work what makes players bounce from an experience we've had great success of getting people in week week 1 how do we stretch that out into um keeping players attention over you know 10 weeks 10 months it, it's like i was saying behaviorally it's a, it's a little different on this on this platform for instance the, the way discovery works right now it, it's still very early. So if you make something that appeals to a, let's say 5% of that audience, what's 5% of 250 million? Let's say 10%, even number, 25 million people. That's a lot of people. That's a great player base. It's really hard to find 10% of the audience unless you have a, a, unless you have storefront discovery mechanics that can support that kind of customer acquisition. So until we have those features on, on the storefront, it probably makes sense not to go too narrow. That's one of the things that we've been thinking about and been feeding into our design process. So it's it's not just what can you make, it's also what should you make. Do you think there's something that, you know, I, I've also heard that discovery is, is bad. I've heard that the community is bad. And I also have heard that the, at least initially for a long time, one of the biggest qualms is that there is no ability to build progression into the games because there was no save state. Is there a tool that you think Epic should focus on the most, like as a developer, like what can they do right now that would be like the most important thing to help ease the development strain for you guys? Well, I mean, I, I would say the two things that you said would be super helpful. I would say, though, I'd, I'm not sure what you mean by community is bad. I would say the community is excellent. Like at least the online community of people that are building and playing these games, super open, super supportive. We've met so many people that are just willing to share their experience and how they've done what they've done and help and collaborate with each other. So I, I'm not sure if there's another part of the community that that you're if if that you're talking about, but my experience community's been great. Ah, okay. Yeah, I think I'm, it was mostly I, referring I, to the fact there's like limited Discord integrations. So building uh, a community. That is outside. true. We did try to put a, a QR code for our Discord in into one of our islands and that that got bounced. But you, you know, I that's another thing I think we take for granted how mature some of these platforms are and expect UEFN to have all of those features, have a rich and robust discovery algorithm. It doesn't yet, it, you know, they know <laughs> and they're, they are working on it. But that is something that would be absolutely helpful for us if we want to be experimenting and building more unique experiences. We need a way to find an audience that likes that and keep them, you know. Progression, absolutely. I mean, they did introduce some save mechanics. There, there are deeper save state mechanics that are on the roadmap that will be super helpful. 
for for building a service, you know, on top of what we're building. And, you know, just being able to save data off platform would be would be great. Like we ran this tournament where we were doing daily challenges and we had we had to we had to operate that manually because some of those challenge the, the meta game challenge, you know, metrics, we, we couldn't dump off to a server somewhere, you know. Once we have features like that, it it allow us to uh, really engage people that are playing. So th- those are all things I you know that I would agree that once those features start hitting the roadmap, it'll become easier for third party developers like us to to innovate or to build an audience to keep an audience for sure. And you know you you mentioned that your first game was a little bit like a training training discovery, right? Where there's one maybe sample of Fortnite, and then your game mode hones on basically like taking that section, and then players practicing for that specific. You said one v one kind of at the end. And Amy, you mentioned stuff about behavior, and you're the one that even brought up the fact that so many of the maps that are doing successful that are being that are successful right now are basically training maps for the base Fortnite game. And you mentioned that it's it's a little bit heavily younger skewed. But what do you think the Fortnite audience on the platform is looking for in the future of those games? Like your best envisionment of what you think that the Fortnite games um, on in, in Fortnite Creator 2.0 could be once they evolve potentially out of just being training maps for the base mode of Fortnite? Yeah, I think that starts with looking at, again, I always look at player behavior. So, you know, Fortnite is a shooter game. And so, you know, the core demographic like shooters. And so then there's a question of, of this demographic, what percentage of these players like to play other types of games? And then as Epic is looking to, to, to bring on new types of players onto the platform, what types of games are they? You know, are they adventure games? Are they more casual? Are they sports games, et cetera? And then, and then how that translates into what UEFN will allow a developer to create, right? And so that's where that's where the roadmap is is pretty important. You know, they had released a very ambitious roadmap pre-high level, you know, at GDC. And, you know, in my conversations with a lot of UEFN devs, I mean, the the team has been launching a lot of new features and generally both staying high level on the on the roadmap, but then also you know, listening to feedback and I would say incorporating prioritizations that um, are coming up that are more critical. And so I think more recently, you know, you've got persistence features that are beginning to get rolled out. You know, you're beginning to have other game genres that people can start to create. I think Tycoon Adventure being two of them, but still pretty early days. And I think that right now, what it feels like for a lot of developers is they are you know, to Alex's point, experimenting in what is still a very volatile platform creation state of UEFN. You have to remember these, these developers are used to stable game engines, right? They're used to versions of Unreal and and or or Unity. And so they're building their games on one version of that and they can pick and choose features from like new version updates that they want to incorporate. That's not going to immediately blow up a game like you know either in production or in sort of live or not which is very different from uefn which is being live updated as an engine and so a lot of developers are experiencing oh wow like you know you know epic rolled out a new feature maybe it's like a video content feature and suddenly you know a very key part of their game whether it's physics or something like that suddenly doesn't work the same way anymore now they have to take the map down they have to update the, the map it delays the map release and so that's really impacting developers lives and i think in just sort of following along all of the releases since gdc you know, Epic is doing a heroic job in terms of trying to be communicative, trying to listen, but they are juggling a lot of balls at the same time. And so, you know, there's still a lot of patience, you know, I mean, game development cycles historically has been years, it's like multi-years in the making. And so there's a good amount of patience that a lot of more experienced devs have around this, but that is finite ultimately. And so, you know, um, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Epic balances this very volatile environment in which devs are creating maps in right now, you know, as a lot of things are in a black box, including payouts with just, you know, how adept they are at communicating what's going on, anticipating that, and then fixing some of these, these issues. 
Yeah, and 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 I think it just it's it's good to remember that yes, this this ecosystem is so young. We can't be super critical of it. It's a it's an entirely new platform since they started. <laughs> we can we can be as critical as we want, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> but with, with with I guess with the it's caveat young. of understanding that it is, is it is super new. But I guess like Amy just brought up some some really awesome points that talk about yeah, like there are some there are some lack there's lack of clarity necessarily on the in in the monetization systems and the economy. And you know, Alex, you're building a studio that's fully dedicated to this. And so, you know, maybe from just for context setting, you know, how many people work at your studio and, you know, on average, what are you, how much are you spending to make each one of these experiences, especially given that the monetization avenues inside UEFN are relatively limited? Yeah. So our studio has six full-time employees and we work with a couple of co-dev studios and and we have some individual contributors that are helping build islands. We have uh, two released and another seven in development, and they range. The last island we released was built primarily by one developer, so the budget on that was pretty small in the tens of thousands. The one that we're releasing next was built with a code dev studio, so that that was a a, a beefier budget. But you know the projects are. Right now, or in the two, three, or four month sort of time frame, uh, with some some projects we we anticipate probably spending more like maybe six months, you know, three or four people. So that's a twenty four man month project. Because you could kind of ladder up the math on on what that turns into, but that's you know that's six six figures and up, you know. So it does range, and it sort of depends on what it, you know. Every every project we do has an, a learning objective attached to it. So depending on what we're trying to achieve and who we're trying to reach and what we're trying to get out of it, that will de- determine the budget that we spend on it. So it so it is a range. I would say that on the lowest <laughs> the lowest end, we, we probably the but gee, I don't know how to quantify that. For, we released the first island the day we launched the company, so. Wow, nice. Is that that a zero budget? We didn't we didn't put it on the books, I guess. (laughs) We're free. It was free. It was it was was a pro pro bono game development. Are you talking about how game changing that is, though? Right, like from an investor perspective, and I mean, obviously, Alex has made a number of like amazing AAA titles, and so historically, you've had a team of up to kind of you know a couple hundred people spend over a hundred million dollars over you know a yes. few years several years to launch one title it's actually very difficult to get data points you know you have alpha tests you have beta tests but at the end of the day it's like kind of you launch and then you kind of hope for the best and that the data you're getting in your play tests much smaller are in line with what you're going to get commercially post launch but you know it's interesting as an investor in consumer tech, you know, you can launch an iPhone app in a matter of months of development and can um, very quickly iterate on test flight and then, you know, and then and then bake in new features quickly, depending on what the audience is reacting to. And this and building on UFN for me as an investor is really exciting because it starts to look like that, but for game devs, right? You can, you know, Alex is talking about launching maps in two to three months time period versus two to three years, like two to seven years. And before you're bringing it into in front of an audience of, you know, up to, I think, you know, they have what, like anywhere from a couple million concurrence in a day of players, which is, you know, really one of the largest live player concurrence, like platform in the world, uh, 250 million, you know, total player base. And that is really rare. And then to be able to do that and in the future potentially test what maps work and then be able to then flush that out, build a triple A game, you know, using, you know, Unreal Engine or maybe in the future, this holy grail of maybe the merge of UFN and, and Unreal is really exciting. Suddenly you can iterate on on maps and and so a developer and founder can really test ideas a lot faster feedback cycle before you know putting the next two years of development time or some millions of dollars of venture funding or publisher money into into building out the game we should double down on that a little bit because i think that is that is fundamentally what is interesting about this platform if you look at the macros of what's happening in the market right now there are a lot of games that are taking longer than they used to, partly 
Maybe because of the pandemic, we're all working from home. I don't know. The games are freaking phenomenal. But how many of them are hurtling their dev costs and marketing budget? Not all of them. Uh, we're seeing a lot of contraction in the industry, a lot of studios either shutting or laying off. And if you if you do that math, launching a new IP, AAA on a console is is at least a $100 million investment. If, you, if you're at Microsoft, it's probably a $200 million investment. So this platform represents a two orders of magnitude efficiency increase <laughs> in testing a new IP. And when you couple it with exactly what you just said, Amy, this is on the Unreal Engine. So if you have an ability to run that flywheel two orders of magnitude faster and cheaper, how much quicker am I going to be at finding a hit IP in games than a, a much riskier endeavor? You know, if you have if you have the scale, okay. But if if you're don't have the scale or if you're investing in a startup or if you're looking at where the new stuff is going to come from it's it's what has me so excited about the platform but i guess like in the way it's basically and, and amy you said this it's an incubation it's an incubation test realm right like you're basically testing maps and then you would go back and as you said build the true triple a version in the two year pipe well it's all so the I, above you can do that and still make you still make a fantastic biz, business on the platform sorry didn't mean to interrupt you but i just <laughs> that that's what i that's what i see i see it's both that's what it's you cake see and eat it too I see. I got it. Yeah, I agree. And I guess like yeah. it's. I mean, it's possible for it to be both, and maybe that's a, a good way to think, think about which business models actually might work on this platform. You know, you just you mentioned okay, maybe what you do is you rapidly test, you iterate, and then you build a AAA game with some magical version of UE5 merged with Fortnite Creative 2.0. But if you're not doing that, let's just say that you actually just want to rapidly iterate and release maps. You know, Amy, my understanding is that the economy is 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 pretty limited right now. It's basically a champagne distribution model where revenues are pooled and then distributed out based based on some revenue and engagement, similar to maybe some of the first party programs in AAA. And so what do you envision an a UEFN economy looking like and how it and how it's working, maybe potentially for those that are not going to incubate and spend two years developing a full AAA title off of a map that they tested? I think that the economy is still to be seen, but if you look at Roblox's roadmap and what they've released and then, you know, there's there's advertising, there's ability to be able to sell like in-game items and building your own sort of creative in-game economies, maybe using the currency like V-Bucks or using uh, or potentially, I don't know, in the future, being able to uh, introduce other currencies in the game. Um, these are all possibilities. But I think, you know, a sign of a really successful platform is that, you know, you have individual developers in the platform that can do, you know, $100 million in revenue. Or like if you look out at other platforms like Salesforce, et cetera, you can, you can have businesses that are building on your platform and do a billion dollars in revenue, right? And, you know, of course, like the app store, et cetera. And that is success. That's what like, success looks like for the platform. I think if you look at Roblox every year, they're, you know, they're paying out, I think, close to a billion dollars. I think kind of just shy of that to, to creators and it, your top 10 creators is pulling about 300 million per year. And so that's getting there in terms of, in terms of, you know, on a per kind of app creator on your platform earnings. And so that will be some of the metrics that will trying to show success for, for UEFN. Therefore, I think like monetization and opening up monetization is going to be pretty core part of the roadmap. It's still a black box today. Like most of the features are not released. You can't, I don't think you can build, bring advertisers for your own map right now, but these will all need to be things to, that Epic incorporates in order to have a thriving ecosystem and platform. And I guess like from that perspective, from the investor perspective, like how do you I don't know, how do you get rigor or confidence in the fact that, you know, maybe you're investing directly into a UEFN studio, but their dependency is so reliant on what Epic decides to do or not to do. And so how do you, I guess, how do you grok that, right? You just, these are all these monetization things that have to happen to, in order to build a successful business model, whether that, whether that be the portfolio game fan model, which is like fail fast, fail quickly, and then just put a million dollars behind the one that's working. If you're a solo developer, it seems like it could be pretty profitable, right? Or maybe do the AAA development at some point. But I guess, how do you, how do you get confidence that Epic's going to put all that stuff in the roadmap and they're going to execute it well, such that this can be a developed ecosystem that actually studios can be profitable on. 
Yeah, that's it's a great question. And ultimately, you know, if we invest in the ecosystem, then our success is going to be predicated on him delivering on that in order to create these successes on the platform. And and I think like whether a studio on like a building on top of a UGC platform is venture backable is is always a question, has been a question for years. It's been a question on Roblox as well. And um and then I think that it's it's pretty early on 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 Roblox, and on, um, the reason why we're excited about UEFN is because it is attracting because of the the ambitious roadmap and what the types of games you can potentially build that you can potentially build these rich games that could you know be standalone kind of AAA style games themselves, and you know attracting developers like Alex to build on the platform is why you know I was. I was super excited about the ecosystem. Um, the biggest risk is platform risk. Absolutely. You know, that the biggest risk is actually not team risk because, you know, there's a lot of great teams that have a whole, you know, sort of lifetime of successes building zero to one or, you know, successful titles. But I think, you know, but they are building on a young platform today. And so the platform risk definitely is number one. You know, I had... I, I think that Tim Sweeney is is truly one of the most like visionary and generational founders of you know of our day and uh, with Epic and so I think he's one of the very few people that is capable of executing on the the strategy and he's already proven that he's you know willing to take some pretty risk first with the you know with the the app store fee you know sort of losses going on but then secondly in terms of the very aggressive payout that they announced you know 40 percent creator creator fees and so um i i think that that he's a founder that will make bold bold bets and so i'm i'm betting on the platform i mean i i would say i would say like in addition to that it's like you Acta non verba, you know, you, you you look at what people do more than what they say, and if you look at what Epic has done, they're put they're putting their money where their mouth is. You know, their whole re- you mentioned their restructure. It was that restructure was a response to uh, their vision for the for the platform, and that certainly wasn't easy or pain free to do. But it it's a sign that they're committed, and and I you know I think that's. It's 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 venture. The word venture is in the investment for a reason. It's like you're going to bet on something that's early. It's going to have an outsized reward if it's successful, but it does have an element of risk to whether it will succeed. But that's the place to be, you know, if you want to be early and you want to do something new. Amy, in your opinion, what are the exit opportunities for a UEFN studio? What is the ideal success case? Yeah, I think of it as this goes back to kind of our gaming thesis. And I think that, you know, successful studios, what what they really look like is a portfolio play, you know, over over their lifetime. And it starts with a single title or in the UFN case, a, um, a collection of maps. And then, you know, what you see the most successful game studios, whether it is, you know, you've, whether it's Epic themselves or, you know, uh, MiHoYo and, you know, Riot, any other games is that you then start building out multiple titles, different genres, different platforms. And that's sort of, I think, you know, what I hope like some of the, some of the developers and on the UFN platform will also pursue. And so I think it remains to be seen whether you can, you know, develop a game that does hundreds of millions of dollars on UFN. That would be a great success case for everyone. And then from there, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of exit paths. Whether your typical paths, you know, via M and A to strategics, private equity, or you know, eventually building out this multi-game platform and then studio, and then being able to go public. These are all potential exit paths. I think for these studios, what really gets us interested, though, is that. You know, as a venture investor, we're always thinking about, you know, what what right does a startup really have to win and beat out an incumbents and incumbents with, you know, sort of like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in titles within also the um, existing distribution and brand. And that is really building on the cutting edge of new platforms or technology or genres, et cetera. And this absolutely falls into that category. You know, incumbents aren't like EA is not building maps on, you know, on on a competitor's platform like today. And so you have startups doing that. And that creates like a really interesting wedge of like, you know, in this case, like fast iteration and discovery. And I think a unique angle 
of success. And, and that's why, you know, it's, it's part of our gaming strategy in terms of embedding on these emerging platforms. And Alex, actually, I had a quick question when she was, she was talking about that and she was telling up, talking about building up a portfolio of content. And obviously the time to creation is quite fast, but how are you thinking about preventing your content from being copycatted? Because obviously the time to creation is pretty quick, but you know the, the idea is to basically empower and democratize as many people as possible. So let's just say you build an incredibly successful map and then 400 people copy it, which is a fairly <laughs> popular tactic to do on Roblox. So how do you create your, I guess I'm asking like, you know, sometimes these AAA games cost $100 million to make because those are professionals that can only do that job, right? Sony and those guys have the marketing budgets to be able to hold out that moat on distribution. So for you guys, what's the... How are you making sure that you guys can create that moat to to protect the the IP that you've created? I'll start by saying, hey, wouldn't that be fantastic if we made an island that was so popular that 400 people wanted to copy it? Uh, <laughs> that's a great problem Champagne to have. Problems. True, true, yeah. true. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I I, I think it, part part of what we're excited about is being early on this platform and being aggressive with how we're experimenting and bringing our our experience and all that stuff to to build high quality and unique experiences. And it, you know, I, I I firmly believe that if we do that well, and we listen to our players and our communities, we'll build things that players like and will be sticky. And whether folks want to imitate what we're doing at that. That's fine. I don't. I don't feel like we need to protect against that. I feel like we, you know, our focus will be on building great experiences. And if we and if we have that situation, then you know, that, that's. I think that's even okay. I think that's okay on these platforms. Yeah, and I guess a lot of that's also driven by the way that um, Epic is building the economy right now to be engagement based. So I guess the worst case scenario is that you build a really awesome game. You build a map, somebody else copies it. For some reason, they have better um, thumbnails, those thumb, thumbnail click click rate or whatever. <laughs> and then that map gets all the engagement, even though you guys built it. And then their pipeline from the 40% creator is going to them and not you. Yeah. I mean, it, part like of it definitely that. has to do with like what we choose to make, you know? So hmm. the, the, the less generic or the more the more endearing the IP or the, or the, or the more nuanced the the experience, uh, the easier Mm -hmm. those things are to, to, I guess, to own, you know, not, not own like physically own, but own, you know, creatively, but yeah. Got it. Own means so many things these days. Do you really own it? If it's, you know, (laughs) on the blockchain, it's like ownership. Um, but okay. So that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like obviously so much of this stuff is in the, is in the works and you're going to have to roll with the punches being so early on a platform. And maybe that brings us to the point of, you know, Amy, from the investor seat, you've looked at a, a good ton of Roblox deals that at Lightspeed, but are you seeing a lot of UEFN dedicated studios come past your desk today? You know, do you think that it's an ecosystem that has, that's like, you know, people are rapidly trying to, to build and like get funding and launch studios on? Yeah, absolutely. So lots of uh, new UFN studios, you know, looking for traditional forms of fundraising. There's also, it was interesting, I was at, it was in New Orleans at the Unreal Fest this year, and I've been there prior years, and I'll tell you the audience looks very different this year. I think for the first time you have, you have like thousands of people there that were really kind of like new game creators and, you know, kind of hanging out alongside very seasoned, you know, UE devs and also kind of people who are working in Hollywood, you know, using UN, UA for movies and film. And so that was that was interesting to see. And I say like a lot of those devs actually don't really know how to raise money and they're actually bootstrapping a lot of their a lot of their maps. And you, you saw that on Roblox as well. I said the majority of Roblox devs never actually attempted to raise venture capital. They don't really know what that is. And that's like the beauty of the democratization. And and so I think that, you know, in terms of what we're looking for, you know, we I mean, we have a, I think we have risk tolerance to take the platform risk and and invest in some of the studios. I don't think that's going to be every venture firm. I also don't think every venture firm is kind of 
wants to take the step in terms of investing in gaming content, let alone like UEFN gaming content. And so I think those are all things that these devs should to, to look out for is like, you know, who has the experience, who's willing to invest in a portfolio of games, and then who's interested in making a bet on the UEFN ecosystem as well. You know, I think that that platform risk is something that investors have to get over. And and, and many of them, many of them won't. But yeah, it's it's been pretty exciting to see what is like a very dynamic and excited ecosystem. So so I agree with Alex. The community actually feels very excited. Roblox's community is bigger today. I think that, you know, but again, I think the difference is, is that the Roblox team, you know, it's it's primarily more amateur game devs. You know, obviously you have at the top, some of their top games, game studios are definitely more sophisticated and you have more. And, and then you also have like new roll-ups now where a, a more like a private equity style teams coming in and buying a lot of titles and then optimizing them on Roblox. They have a robust enough engine to do a lot of the A-B testing in order to uh, optimize these games so that it really stands out in the pack so that somebody can't just copycat it and um, and expect to do similarly. I actually think as UEFN's uh, engine gets more powerful, you'll see some of those effects as well. You're seeing some of the developers on Roblox coming over and trying UEFN um, and also experiencing that it's still early. Then you also have, you know, AAA devs that are coming that, you know, aren't really as excited about Roblox, which is really catering to a different age category, I would say. When, you know, at the... At the success of when Roblox IPO'd, I always thought that a really interesting gap in the market was a UGC platform, but from an older, more adult audience, you know, an older audience don't want to play Roblox games. You know, they're they're basically in there and they'll see kids that are like eight years old or 10 years old playing that. And so that's why actually UFN also expands the potential age range in addition to the types of players coming into the platform. And so I, I think they have a shot at at really bringing on that pretty broad range of players. And, but, you know, I think, I think we'll see. Yeah, I definitely really resonate with that. I've always called Roblox like the gateway UGC platform. It's like the gateway drug kind of, where it's like you start there <laughs> when you're eight, but then after that, it's like, no, it's no good anymore. And you've got to graduate to like the more mature content. So that's that's really interesting that that's the way that you think about it. Oh, I play well. Roblox games. I mean, I, like, you know, I test games all the time as an investor, but you know, when you're in like a, a lobby with like a bunch of 12 year olds, no. it, it's, <laughs> it's a little awkward sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, and, and Alex, actually, I, I would love to ask you if you do, and we're going to do a quick, like a quick little hits thing, pros like Roblox versus UFN and a bunch of little topics to see like who takes it home. But did you ever evaluate Roblox instead of UEFN when you started Look North World? Uh, yeah. And we're, we are, we are looking at Roblox as well. It, it, it is a different kind of platform. It's it's a lot more mature in terms of like how monetization works, the kinds of experiences that are popular are a little different than the kinds of experiences that are popular on and it's a different it's a different tool set. So we we feel really good about UEFN and where it's going, but Roblox is is ticks a lot of the same sort of or scratches the same itches, you know, just in terms of like having a Having an audience that is super engaged and, you know, quicker development cycles and an interesting place to experiment. So, yeah, we did we did look at Roblox. We'd still look at Roblox. We play Roblox. We'd love to do a project with Roblox. So, yeah. There are a lot of other platforms, too, that are also, that are coming or that are out that are interesting that all sort of fit in a similar category of, of you know, I, I, Amy, you were saying metaverse, that phrase, that phrase has been overused. We don't want to use it anymore. But a, a lot of these platforms are are delivering on some of those concepts, you know, of having a social experience across many different kinds of content. But I, I would I would call I would call Fortnite a metaverse. A mini verse? I don't know. It's it's a verse. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's also being built Opt- in Optim- verse. So yeah. Optimus Prime and Spider-Man in the same place, you know? So yeah. yeah. On the Roblox versus UEFN situation. And I guess also that could be another outcome, right? Is that like you're a UGC studio, but you operate on multiple UGC platforms. So maybe that's another kind of idea that of that an investor might look at. It's like, you know, we think about like a lot of studios actually started as just as like modding communities and then they became like Valve. So that's, you know, it's very realistic. But 
let's kind of run through this like quick hits of pros and cons, like, you know, Roblox or UEFN and who kind of takes it home. So on audience, you know, who, who, who wins on audience, UEFN or Roblox? Amy, I'm going to give these to some of the... I, to I mean, today, Roblox... Well, first of all, I mean, you got to... It's not quite apples to apples because they're different age targets, although there's some overlap, right, in sort of the early teens. But I would say, like, right now, I mean, today... Roblox's audience is is extremely passionate. Just to kind of give a, a data point, you know, you, the top like top couple games like on Roblox has close to I think a million people on their Discord. So these this is like very passionate, engaged community. And I think UFN is still needs to get there. Like so, I think that the Fortnite community is extremely passionate, but I think the UFN one is still getting there. Okay, what about potential for? monetary outcome like what which of the which what games are making more money right now roblox games or uefn as an investor i think that uefn potentially has in the future can provide just kind of better monetization ceilings for these for these games you know there's a reason why i i do think the monetization is a bit capped today for like a roblox studio that's why a lot of them are looking to go cross-platform and um and i think that could be a potential roadblock that you know UFN encounters, but I think they would like not to. And I think the fact that it is kind of um, like complementary to UE already helps that. Got it. And yeah. Alex, this one's for you. Time to build. Roblox or UFN, which one's faster? Well, for for my studio, absolutely UEFN, no question. I, I think unless you are an experienced Roblox developer, you probably have better access to development talent and probably personal experience on an, uh, UEFN just because it's so close and based on on the Unreal Engine. Got it. What about life cycle of the games? Right now, do you think that there's a difference between like tenure in terms of how long one game stays popular? I mean, I, I would say right now there's, and I'm not as familiar with Roblox probably as Amy, but I, I would say that um, the tools that UEFN has for building live service and deploying content and persistence and uh, player data are it is still early. So the ability to operate and grow an experience for years as opposed to months, I would have, I know Roblox maps have been popular for, for a long, long time. So I would imagine that's probably easier on Roblox today. Yeah, I agree. It is a function of the of the of the depth of the game that you can create on the platform, right? Because you know, if it's apples to apples, like the two engines can do the same thing, then it's kind of anyone's guess. Depends on the title specifically, but because you can build a much deeper game on Roblox, you also see you know a lot more kind of like highly retaining um, audience for some of their top games. I think Adopt Me is still one of the top games of Roblox. The top ten studios of Roblox actually don't shift all that much they're very talented at really engaging and really knowing that audience and building for that audience and so that that is a function of the the capabilities of the engine yeah Yeah. and i think you know i think if you if you if you put a timeline on on any of these questions the answers start to change right like sure i'm less interested in what the answer to these questions are today as to like 12 to 24 months from now because that's what we're building towards and i think those answers things will absolutely be different in that time frame okay but there's probably one thing that that won't be any different down the road and that's kind of the incentive system you know epic develops games and roblox does not and they have an agenda to push their primary game more so than Roblox does, given that Roblox is not a developer themselves. And I guess the question is, can you compete with ROAS versus Epic? And how do you kind of grok that when you think about the future of building a UEFN studio, both from the builder perspective and the investor perspective? Well, I mean, I, I would say that anything that Epic is doing that grows this platform, not just on features, et cetera, but on audience is a net benefit to anyone building on, on the audience. And if you, if you look at what the kinds of things that they are bringing to the platform, they're all in service of uh, broadening the user base, not just reserving an existing user base. So they're working on things that will grow the platform and also introduce new kinds of play styles to uh, the platform. And those are all things that are 
multiplicative to the ecosystem. So, you know, if 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 they continue to follow that pattern, I think it's all upside for for teams like us. And Amy? Yeah, I agree. I actually think that they recognize that they have reached a level of success with Fortnite. And so to reach kind of like the next phase of the company's evolution and especially around, you know, Tim's decades long kind of vision at achieving the metaverse, you know, I would say that UFN needs to succeed. Otherwise, actually Epic is hampered by by not seeing that succeed and and not not being able to meet its its potential. Got it. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, guys, this has been an awesome episode. I've learned a ton about looking at and evaluating and building in the UEFN ecosystem and also Roblox a little. If anybody in the audience wants to get in touch with you, uh, Amy, they have a pitch for you, or Alex, they're interested in learning about Look North World, how can they reach out? Amy, how about you? Uh, for me, they can they can find me on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Like Likewise, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, under my name, or on Discord as Steak Bacon, so... Happy to talk nice. to anybody interested in the in the platform um, or the studio. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, that's the, one of the better ones I've heard for sure. Steak bait. All right, guys. On that note, we'll be concluding. Big thank you, Alex and Amy, for coming. And thank you to our listeners. I'll be back in two weeks. And feel free to hit me up at alexander at novic.co if you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns. Love to hear your feedback. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.